Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, I'll take a look at that massive Air India order, while Tom will see why no airplanes flew over his house today. Joe will recap two alarming sudden descents, while I'll look at an interesting Airbus A330 auction. Finally, I'll see why lots of airlines are fighting over a Colombian low-cost carrier. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And Joe, Air India, you know, I feel like you have to have been living under a rock if you've not heard about (laughs) this, because... You know, I've been reading tweets about it online and without giving your story away, I've just been reading people saying the best thing about this is that we're going to stop getting like 101 (laughs) exclusives that it might have been signed. (laughs) What are we going to do on Fridays now, Tom? Because it seemed like for the last six months, every Friday has been a new rumour about how many planes Air India is going to order and when they're going to announce it. And finally, they did. Well, they sort of did. Like Air India still hasn't put out an official press release for its massive order. Um, Mm. But I think Boeing and Airbus in the end just went, do you know what? Everybody's talking about it. Like people are speaking to the press. Everybody's got the numbers. Let's just do it. So I think we can say, finally, um, the massive airplane order is confirmed. So Mm. in case you missed it, it totals 470 aircraft. um, And unusually, it's split almost evenly between both Boeing and Airbus. Um, So excitingly for us, the order does include a placement for 10 Boeing 777X wide bodies, um, making Air India the 11th named customer for the brand new yet to be certified plane. Um, So let's go through the Airbus side first of all. Air India Mm. is adding 210 A320 Neo family narrow bodies. That's for its obviously short and medium haul operations, along with 40 A350s. So on the narrowbody side, the order breaks down to 70 A321neos and 140 A320neos. Um, so I did ask Christian Scherer, are they going to be LRs, XLRs? You know, what are they going to be? At the moment, he said it's all been signed as um, standard. So, But he said, obviously, they've got that flexibility to up or downsize the family. You know, it could be more A321s or more A320s and mm. to add the fuel capacity and the maximum takeoff weight um, changes to turn them into LRs and XLRs if they want to, because they're going to have to wait a little while for that order. I'll come back to that in a minute. So alongside those, we've got six A350 900s and 34 A350 1000s. It's, this is exciting for India because this will be the first Airbus wide body in India. Um, mm. Everybody's been like Boeing centric for the longest time. Um, so all in, uh, Airbus is order is um, worth around 34 million based on market value. I know um, there was meant to be the Kingfisher A380 way back and then that all collapsed when that airline collapsed. And yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see. I, I love an A350. I oh, I do too. I do too. And we don't have to wait too long either, because rather than joining a production queue, even the reason that um, Air India is getting the six nine hundreds when clearly it's more interested in the one thousands is because Mm. those six are the ones that should be going to Aeroflot. Um, And because of sanctions, they're not going to be delivered. So they're going to be repainted into Air India livery and they're going to be delivered before the end of this year. So um, that's something to look forward to for sure. The 1000s obviously will need to join the production queue, but it's not that big. So they'll start delivering in a couple of years. Um, The same can't be said for the narrow bodies, sadly. As I'm sure you know, Airbus has a 
massive backlog. Um, it's more than 7,000 aircraft right now. Um, they're trying to push up to producing 65 a month by the middle of this year. But um, even then, it's going to be a long, long time before Air India gets its brand new planes from Airbus. They said it will probably be towards the end of the decade. So <laughs> a little while to wait for those. Um, but I think we'll see more uh, NEOs joining the Air India fleet from the leasing um, side of things because they're going to need that capacity to grow. Um, you know, maybe Boeing can do something with those uh, 737 MAX that were destined for China. Maybe they can shift some of those over there, but we'll see. Um, so let's look at the Boeing side, seeing as I've mentioned them. On that side, it's total firm orders for 220 aircraft. That's split between 190 Boeing 737 MAX, 20 Boeing 787s, and as previously mentioned, 10 of the new 777X. Um, so funnily enough, the firm order from Air India is also valued at $34 million. So financially, it's an absolute 50-50 split between the two manufacturers. Um, so alongside the firm orders, Air India also secured options for another 70 airplanes from Boeing. That includes 50 737 MAX and another 2787s. So if they exercise all those, the order value will go up to like 45, 46 billion dollars. We talk about these billions of dollars like it's nothing, but it's a mm. lot of money actually. Um, in terms of value, this is the third largest sale for Boeing of all time and the second largest in terms of aircraft numbers. Overall, an order for 470 new airliners has never been seen before. So it is the biggest order ever, 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 which is mm. exciting. Um, they pipped the big American Airlines order back in 2011, which was 460 aircraft by 10 airframes. In terms of value, it's got second place though, because um, Emirates in 2013 placed an order for 150 777Xs, and that mm. was valued at 76 billion, just surpassing the Air India order by $8 billion. Um, obviously, Emirates isn't taking all those anymore, so that order value has actually dropped a little bit. But uh, at the time it was placed, it still maintains its crown as the biggest value order. But I mean, you know, we've waited a long time for this, and to be honest, I'm just glad that it's done <laughs> because mm. it seemed like every other day there was a new story. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like we, it, I, I, I think we were even guilty of uh, running the, this order might now be signed story too much, but <laughs> I'm glad it, it is done. I'm just, I'm intrigued to see if it actually comes to fruition in the end because it is just such a big order and it's, mm. um, but you know, I'm not saying that it won't. I'm just intrigued to see if it does. I think they've got to be very careful. I mean, Air India's got mm. some big plans and obviously some big money behind them now that they're part of the Tatas. But if they just go hell for leather and expand all over the place, it's not going to be sustainable. And, and India yeah. is so price sensitive and so flooded with low-cost carriers. You've got to think, where are the opportunities for all these planes? But mm. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Watch this space, <laughs> as we like to say. As always. So I wanted to talk about why there were no planes flying over my house today. And it sounds on the t face of it like... A really boring subject to <laughs> podcast listeners, but hang with me because it's actually, I think, probably one of the bigger aviation stories in Europe this month. Um, and that is basically that Lufthansa Group had a total meltdown today. Um, what happened um, was that their, their planning system, they had an IT uh, outage with their planning systems, so none of the aircraft could um, depart. Amazing. Um, and this just, because of the way the Lufthansa group works, this cascaded to become a problem pretty much for 
the whole of Europe in varying levels rather than just Lufthansa. So, so what happened? Well, basically, um, this, this is the baffling bit because yesterday, uh, as we're recording this, so we're recording this on Wednesday. On Tuesday, um, the Deutsche Bahn were digging up um, around um, some uh, a, a railway line to lay... Uh, from the pictures, it looks like they're essentially digging big... Um, Circular tube ditches, if that mm. makes sense, to fill with concrete for reinforcements. Right. Um, and they did this, and they went along, and then um, they did another one. And five meters down where they were doing uh, were telecoms glass fiber cables. So these were shredded, um, completely destroyed. And what I don't really understand about this yet, that we'll see comes into any investigation into this, is that uh, this happened yesterday and it took until this morning for Lufthansa to realize that it couldn't, its systems weren't working. You know, they worked fine <laughs> last night by all accounts, um, but this morning they just weren't working. So um, Lufthansa flights couldn't depart from Frankfurt. And this is where the domino effect starts because, you know, if Lufthansa flights can't, um, can't depart. That sounds like a very Lufthansa-centric problem. But the problem here is that because Lufthansa is so dominant at Frankfurt, they there was no space for more aircraft to arrive. So the air, air traffic controllers actually had to say, you know, hang on, we're full. Um, don't come to us. And there were quite a few diversions. You know, I saw um, an Iran Air ended up trying to go to Milan and then it couldn't get in there. Um, so it ended up going to a town I've never heard of in uh, Italy called Rimini uh, to refuel. And then it flew back to Frankfurt once there was some reopening. And, you know, the passengers would have been on that aircraft because I assume they wouldn't have got off in, um, in Italy. The passengers would have been on that aircraft seven and a half hours longer than they were expecting. Oof. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's painful. It is painful. Um, and this was not the, this was not an exception. This was kind of like, several different carriers were facing this. Thankfully, you know, after a short amount of being grounded um, around 11.53 local time, they did reopen to some arrivals. So, um, you know, there was a flight from Washington to Frankfurt by United Airlines and that was holding. It had started to go towards Brussels and then um, it turned back. Um, but, you know, even now that Lufthansa flights are getting back on, getting moving again, there's not so many um, other carriers um, flying to to and from Frankfurt. And mm. I just, I, I find it crazy that, uh, you know, because a cable has been cut, you have basically paralyzed the biggest, the sixth biggest airport in Europe in terms it's of insane. numbers. You, you know, think there'd like, be like a workaround or redundancy yeah, you know, like, or some sort of second We're working from home. Plan if B. our internet cable got cut, um, cut then okay that would make sense but you know these people they need their internet so mm. um like you know it clearly this shows how important it is because they've brought the whole of and i mean you know it's not so bad for someone like Heathrow because they are only affected by um the Lufthansa flights and the BA flights going to Frankfurt but mm. you know here it's uh, it's the whole it's, thing's ground to a halt <laughs> yeah and i mean the thing i think that really shows how much like how the dominoes fell so perfectly in Frankfurt is that this is like a Lufthansa group wide problem, mm. but we're not hearing about this chaos in Austria. We're not here like Munich and Berlin airports. They're saying we've got disruption, but they, they haven't had to close to all carriers. Mm. It's just, 
you know, I could go on and on about how <laughs> mind blown I am about this situation. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm really, the, the thing that really confuses me is that it, the cable was cut yesterday and it's a problem today and it wasn't a problem immediately. Mm. Um, but, you know, this is... Um, not going to be a good week for Lufthansa already because uh, before we even learned that Lufthansa's whole operations were basically suspended, uh, we learned that there's going to be huge strikes at German airports on Friday. And mm. Frankfurt Airport has said basically, you know, if you're planning to fly from Frankfurt on Friday, you're not flying from Frankfurt on Friday. Mm. Um, they basically said, said that, don't go to the airport, didn't they? Yeah, they have. They've said, you know, if you're departing, you're not going to be departing. And if you're connecting, you're not going to be connecting. So it sounds like you can still arrive at the airport. Mm. But I would assume that a lot of airlines will just cancel their flights because there's, it's, I, I don't think it's going to be beneficial to them to fly fly full one way and empty the other. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is be, this is going to be a problem because in the UK, you know, you've got to give two weeks of strike at, uh, notice. So there's plenty of time for airlines to work out what they're doing. But here, you know, we've been told about the strike, I think, last night. Uh, so Lufthansa would have woken up this morning and what they would, would have wanted to do would have been to start rebooking everyone who's meant to be flying on Friday onto maybe some flights on Thursday and maybe some on Saturday and Sunday and Monday. Um, but now they have basically two buckets of um, dis days of disruption that they have to completely rebook um, <laughs> from with the same amount yeah you know you can it's just it's gonna see, take you know. days and days to sort this yeah. out isn't it it's gonna be like southwest all over again yeah <laughs> craziness well i'm glad you're not flying anywhere tom and i wouldn't recommend trying to do so anytime soon out of frankfurt at least um, <laughs> but i yeah. wanted to talk about um i feel like the lady incident reporter on the podcast these days because for the last <laughs> what two or three weeks I, do. I did the australia crash last week oh you in, did you did yeah. um but mostly we've been talking about on the ground incidents where, um, you know, aircraft have bumped into each other or there's been someone on the runway when someone was trying to take off or land. Well, we've found out this week about two incidents that were actually in the air um, and they're pretty hair raising, I have to say. So last month, um, a Denmark bound Qatar Airways 787 Dreamliner was involved in a rather scary incident um, where the aircraft suddenly lost altitude shortly after takeoff. So the plane dropped below a thousand feet while flying over the Persian Gulf on its way out of the carrier's Doha hub. Thankfully, the situation situation was recovered. Um, but let's find out what happened with that flight. So it was the early hours of Tuesday, January the 10th. Um, and according to flightradar.com, the flight took off at just before 2 a.m. local time. So middle of the night, all very dark. Tracking data from the Aviation Herald shows that before the descent, the aircraft had ascended to around um, 1,800 feet, 1,850. And it was at this point that for no apparent reason, it suddenly descended um, at a maximum sink rate of 3,000 feet per minute. Now, when you're only at 1,850 feet, <laughs> that's uh, heading towards the sea pretty fast. Um, at its lowest altitude, it was just 850 feet above the sea. Um, the whole descent lasted around 24 seconds and completely exceeded the Boeing 787's flap limit. So it was all a bit terrifying. 
Apparently, the first officer was flying the aircraft at the time of its departure, and it was an intervention by the captain that saved everything and stopped the descent. Um, and afterwards, the aircraft you know, recommenced its climb and continued onwards without incident. Um, clearly wasn't a mechanical fault or, you know, not something that's immediately obvious. At the moment, they're saying that it was a case of the first officer losing situational awareness in the dark while climbing. But obviously, investigations are going to follow. Mm. Um, but that's not the only one because well, there was... <laughs> Go on. Can I interrupt? I know I, 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 I'm interrupting you again, but <laughs> I'm just... The thing that amazes me is that this happened in mid-December. Yeah, and we just and found out about it last week. Yeah, you know, if I was on that flight, you know, I would have probably, if there was internet, been like messaging people at Simple Flying um, <laughs> but like on the flight. And if not, as soon as I landed, you know, because you must have, if that exceeded the flap limits, you must have felt it. And yeah, I'm amazed that, sure. you know, um, thank you to the air current for digging it up because I'm amazed that no one um, really covered it before, like no one knew about it before they dug it up. This was, I don't think this was an air current one. This was an Aviation Herald one um, but the air current reported the next one I was going to talk about maybe they did maybe they did Um, but I know I definitely have to thank Mr Ostroa at the air current for this second one I'm going to tell you about uh, which involved United Airlines with a Boeing 777 flying from Maui to San Francisco that's Um, the one I'm talking about sorry I've got completely confused (laughs) well it's not very often you hear of these steep descents and to have two reported in one week is a bit like woof what's going on Um, anyway so this 777-200 was flying as UA1722. Um, it took off from Kalui. It, this one was in the afternoon, so it wasn't dark. It was just before 3pm local time, but it was quite stormy um, in terms of the weather. So looking at data provided by Flight Radar 24, the aircraft got up to about 2,200 feet about a minute after departing, but then it suddenly, for no apparent reason, began heading towards the sea, just like the Qatar Airways flight. Um, So at 14.50, the calibrated altitude of the aircraft was around 775 feet above the water. I mean, that's scarily close, really. Um, Hmm. Afterwards, it quickly began to gain altitude. It was up to 1,000 feet a minute later and back up at 33,000 feet seven minutes after this, where it should have been, and continued Mm. on its journey um, to San Francisco without any incident. Um, So, John at the Air Current said that two people familiar with the event shared that the climb produced forces of nearly 2.7 times the force of gravity on the aircraft and its occupants as it shifted from its sudden dive into an 8,600 feet per minute climb. So, you know, the stress on that airframe must have been insane. And the passengers, I mean, doesn't even Mm. bear thinking about, really. Um, There was somebody, I haven't actually read the story, but I saw the headline, I think spoke to Fox News today, saying that they were screaming and holding the seat in front of them and crying as it was all going on. I, I, I do question this because, you know, I feel like 99% of people, if this had happened, like if people, I, I just, I don't understand the logic behind it unless like United perhaps paid some hush money to <laughs> to say, don't, don't please yeah. don't go to the press with Everybody this. Everybody have some like champagne. Some sort of, <laughs> have enough until you've forgotten the, about today entirely. <laughs> yeah, the, that's the only thing I can think is like some sort of non-disclosure agreement and we'll pay you like free flights for a year or something because I don't see how it just, you know, like like I say, you know, if if that was... You'd be all over Twitter, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I, I think, feel like I think most, most people, people would. would. 
Yeah. yeah, particularly in the States. I mean, maybe I don't know who was on the Qatar Airways flight, but, you know, maybe it's not in their culture to take to social media quite as rapidly as Westerners do. But certainly a flight from Hawaii to San Francisco, you think everybody would have their phones out and be um, Twittering and Facebooking and whatever. But uh, I'm sure, you know, that both these incidents will be investigated and it'll all come out in the wash. And when it does, we will definitely um, be feeding back on that. Um, but I just don't ever want to be on a plane that does that sort of thing because it sounds absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I can agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you well, wanted to tell us about um, a plane that's not doing any steep diving because it's not doing anything at all anymore. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to talk about Kangaroo Valley. Kangaroo Valley. Um, that sounds that's probably so Australian. An awful... Did it? Okay, I was gonna just about to apologise for my awful Australian accent. Not the accent, accent but, um... just the name. No, the accent was oh, terrible. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes sense. Well, yeah, basically, um, Qantas is, you know, in the process of um, revamping its fleet, as we know. Um, and one of its aircraft, uh, Vic Victor Hotel Echo Bravo Echo, is going to become an A330 freighter. Um, mm. But before it does that, you know, there's so much cool stuff on a passenger airplane that doesn't need to go on a freighter, for example, you know, seats. Mm. And rather than just like taking them out and thinking like, oh, what do we do? Um, Qantas decided to invite some of its frequent flyers and other enthusiasts to its Hangar 96. And they had an auction uh, that raised approximately $11,330 US dollars um, for a group of former airline employees that um, does charitable work for um, children with hearing and sight disabilities. So, you know, I thought Very this was quite course. cool because, yeah, I, I, you know, usually these things you kind of pick up on before, but it, we really, we really didn't hear about it until, um, until the day. Um, according to our, my, our colleague Linnea, who's sort of done some digging into this, she actually managed to find out what sort of uh, pieces were on offer and bid for. So apparently two business class seats, and these are Australian dollars I'm using now, so um, apologies for the confusion because I just used US dollars. Uh, but two business class seats went for $3,600. Two economy seats were $750. Uh, three economy seats were $1,100. Four economy seats were $850. Um, a cabin crew jump seat went for $900. A wow. bar cart filled with alcohol. Guess this one. Oh, I don't know. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> 2,000. Um, nice. It had some other memorabilia in it. A PA phone went for 450 um, Bathroom vanity mirror, 450 Exit sign, 550 seat mm. row, Seat and row number with the number A1. 1A was 800 Nice. Um, a backpack made from a recycled life jacket went for 600 A satchel made of a life jacket made for 550 An apron for 500 A life jacket oven glove type thing, 350 <laughs> um, Safety cards for $50. And uh, premium economy uh, A380 seats, which I'm guessing didn't come from the 330, but were no, just like despair. we need to get rid of them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, for one thousand four hundred. Um, nice. So you know, I th I think it's really cool um, because we saw this with the A three eighty auction. Um, there were some really cool bits, and the only thing I'm not a big fan of at the auctions is that like these things are so popular that you know unless you've got 
decent money, you're not going to even touch it, which is why I like the sort of other companies that sort of maybe take something big and then make lots of smaller things out of it. So yeah, it becomes yeah. more accessible to like the average aviation enthusiast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's big business. And I don't know why more mm. passenger airlines don't do this when they retire or convert their planes. You know, generally, they just rip out all the seats and throw them away. But there's there's money to be made and for it to be for charity as well. I think that's great. Um, mm, I do have yeah. a I have a bin that's um, a, an ex-Monarch Airlines bin that uh, mm. my lovely husband bought for me for an anniversary present once. And it's it's the pride nice. of my kitchen. I do love it. <laughs> yeah, my, my drawers actually under my desk are uh, Lufthansa catering boxes with little nice. pull-out <laughs> things that the meals would sit in. So. I'd like to make a whole kitchen out of those, but I think that would probably be uh, ep- economically unviable is the, the term they use because <laughs> they go for so much money. Anyway, back to the podcast. Um, yep. We don't talk about South America very often, not often enough. Um, but there's lots going on right now. And so I thought it was really worth a mention. Um, Viva Air, which is an ultra low cost carrier in Colombia, is looking to merge with Avianca, um, a full service airline also based in Colombia. This isn't new news. This was announced in April last year. Um, they filed a request to do so with the Colombian authorities in August. In September, no fewer than nine airlines lodged opposition to this plan. Um, Easy Fly, Wingo, Aerolineas, Argentinas, Latam Airlines, Air Europa, JetSmart, Satina, Ultra Air and even Lufthansa. Um, in November, Colombia's Aero Civil, which is like their CAA, denied the first attempt to merge, saying that it would harm the consumer. Um, but then, in a move a little bit like the Spirit Frontier JetBlue saga, the Chilean ultra-low-cost carrier JetSmart suddenly announced its intentions to acquire Viva Air last week. Um, so, in case you don't know JetSmart, they're actually related very closely to the Europe's Wizz Air. It's owned by the same group, Indigo Partners, who also have a couple mm. of other airlines. Um, you know, big business, lots of money behind them. Um, but it came as a bit of a surprise because the negotiations and the applications were already well far down the road with Colombia's Avianca. Um Although the uh, the Aero Civil denied their attempt to merge at first, I think it was January, they said that they'd restart the process. They're not moving it along very fast, but they are reopening the process. Um, anyway, the chief executive officer, officer of JetSmart said that purchasing the Colombian airline would strengthen free competition and keep the ultra-low-cost model alive in the country. Um, pretty much like the argument that Frontier had for keeping hold of Spirit because JetBlue is not really quite a low-cost carrier. Anyway, JetSmart really wants to expand in South America and sees Colombia as a critical market because last year, that airline filed a request to open a branch of their own airline in the country, um, creating JetSmart Colombia. They've already got branches in Chile, Argentina and Peru. Um, Obviously, if it ends up buying Viva, um, that will probably become its Colombian operation, I guess. They won't need two airlines there. Um, But then in a twist, Avianca released a statement on Tuesday saying that um, neither the company nor its shareholders have received any offers to sell Viva to this JetSmart company. Um, They don't think it's a real signal of interest. They don't think it's a real option. In particular, they said that because there's going to be due diligence needing to be done and all the competition inquiry is going to have to restart, it's just going to take too long. Um, In Hmm. fact, Castlemouth Limited, who is the holder of the voting rights of Viva Columbia, also said they don't believe that it's a a valuable offer. They don't think it makes any sense. Um, 
And the thing is that Viva doesn't have any time. Um, you know, all this time to restart negotiations just doesn't exist because earlier this week, the airline entered into bankruptcy protection under Chapter 11. It is still flying, um, but it's not in a good financial position. Um, in mm. fact, Colombian authorities said this week that they're going to speed up the review process because they're worried that it's going to fall over entirely and not be a viable business at all. Um, but then today, yet another twist, <laughs> because Latin America's largest airline, LATAM, has thrown its hat in the ring and said that it has written to the president of Viva with an offer for the airline. It believes that its offer represents the best opportunity for growth and for the Colombian customers, but of course didn't say publicly how much it wanted to offer for the airline. That's all very hush-hush. But it really I mean, does haven't smell... they just gotten out of their own financial they mess? They have. Yes, <laughs> they have. Um, and all these airlines, you know, Avianca kind of went bankrupt or went into Chapter 11 hmm. and then had to restructure and came out again. Um, you know, they've all had a really hard time over the past few years. And Viva was doing really well. You know, Viva was one of the airlines that was flying the most through the pandemic. But clearly it's cost them in terms of their bank balance. Um, hmm. And if somebody doesn't do something soon, <laughs> there's not going to be an airline to buy. But I thought it was kind of funny how similar it was to the JetBlue and Spirit situation, um, although that's obviously all done and dusted now but it will be interesting to see who does end up acquiring the airline personally i do think mm. avianca is too far along in the process to really give it up unless one of the others come in with a massively better offer well, i mean you say that and then this was the whole thing with um who was it that wanted to buy spirit you know frontier yeah yeah <laughs> that's true they were they were very far down the process they'd agreed everything yeah. and due diligence was going on and then suddenly JetBlue swoop in and steal the deal so mm. I guess it remains to be seen but uh, it's, a, it's a fun one to watch anyway yeah crazier things have happened in aviation <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's all we've got time for on today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.